0: Um, Yeah, before I start, um, so my name's Emmy um, and I head up the youth work here at Christchurch and it is genuinely a great joy. I'm not saying that uh, just for the sake of it. It genuinely is a joy to do the youth work here at Christchurch. And as Hannah mentioned, we went away uh, for a three-day retreat last week during the half-term. And I can honestly say it's one of my favourite things we do as a youth group. Um, it's absolutely chaotic. We spend three days running around the woods. I didn't lose any this time. Last time I did, but this time I didn't. Um, they all returned unscathed, um, and we had a, genuinely had a great time. It's um, it's one of those things where we actually is quite. Um, intense in the sense that we're all together and it's not like a big thing like new day but actually that's really lovely because it's a chance for us to hang out just as a youth group um, and to spend time in a community and praying and just kind of going through things that our group in particular are struggling with Um, and as a team I think I can vouch to say we genuinely love it and it's a really um, fun time we have good food good company um, and as Hannah mentioned we were looking at trusting in the Lord and we just saw some genuine breakthroughs with our young people Um, some young people recommitted and we had one uh, young person who actually gave her life to Christ for the first time, which is really exciting. And yeah, genuinely really exciting. And we had healings, um, and we had words. Um, Luke, who's one of the elders from Heathfield, just spent about 20 minutes just prophesying over our young people, and it was all on point, and it was just amazing. So genuinely, really grateful for those who supported us in that, um, and our young people, I can vouch to say, had a really good time. Um, So moving on from that, this morning, uh, we are carrying on our series looking at the Psalms, um, and today I'm going to be looking at Psalm 91. So for thousands of years, Christians have um, looked to the psalms um, as kind of words of encouragement and comfort during really difficult times. Um, As you've probably seen if you've been here for most of the series of the psalms, that it covers a wide array of emotions and problems and difficulties and life situations. Um, And actually, I have to say, when I came to this psalm, I was a little bit like, I'm going to run out of things to talk about because it's just been covered so much. But actually, reading this psalm has been a real encouragement for me. And actually the psalm that has been researched and looked up and googled the most in the last four years in particular has been psalm 91. Um, And when talking about this psalm in particular, Charles Spurgeon once said that in the whole collection there is not more a cheering psalm, that faith is at its best and speaks nobly in this psalm. And this psalm focuses on God's protection and who to put our trust in when we're facing the perils of this world. I think it's fair to say that we're always looking for safety and security throughout our lives because we live in a really dangerous, chaotic world. And for us, looking for security and safety is actually what probably moulds our heart and preoccupies our daily routines. And this psalm was actually used a lot in, as an anthem almost in World War I, known as the Soldier's song. And as a psalm, it is used and spoken over various different cultures throughout the world um, in areas of history where people, uh, groups of people have faced really difficult times. So this psalm really speaks to lots of different groups of people in lots of different ways, but the overarching theme of this psalm is looking at God's protection and what that means for us. So if we um, move to the first few verses, looking at verse 1 to 4. So it says, if you could open your Bibles actually up to Psalm 91, you can read along with me. And I'll be reading from an ESV version. So it says this, Psalm 91. He who dwells in the shelter of the Most High will abide in the shadow of the Almighty. He will say to the Lord, my refuge and my fortress, my God in whom I trust. He will deliver you from the snare of the fowler and from the deadly pestilence. He will cover you with his pinions and under his wings you will find refuge. His faithfulness is a shield and buckler. So the concept of safety, I think, changes massively, um, depending on your walk of life and where you're at in life. And I think it really depends on what age you are. So I know for me personally, when I was growing up, safety looked like knowing where my mum was whenever we were in the supermarket. I know once, apparently, I was in the supermarket and I just walked off in the wrong direction and mum called me back and I didn't seem to care and I just kept walking um, and I didn't seem to be too fussed about the fact that I was kind of in the middle of nowhere but actually generally like children want to know where their mum and dad is at all times they're always wanting to make sure they're in eye lines so if they're in the park um, or supposedly in a supermarket they'll always like reassuringly look around to make sure their mum and dad is still there I remember I worked in a nursery um, and it was a bit of an art to try and drop the child off and for the parent to leave without the child seeing so you kind of had to like keep the child busy for about 30 seconds while the parent kind of tried to slide out the door because as soon as the child realized that a mum was missing then it was very chaotic and lots of tears but it's true like children for them safety is making sure that their parent is within eyeline and when you go to bed a child wants to know that you're still there i know a lot of children who like to hear their parents downstairs because it reminds them they're not on their own and that their parent is there with them and as you become older and you hit kind of teenage and adulthood Or like young adulthood, I think a security and safety thing is when you're in a part of a group, so you're not on your own, that you're not isolated from people, that you are part of a group of friends that you know well that have accepted you. And actually, I remember as a teenager, one of my worst nightmares was not being involved in something or not being involved in a group, being on my own and feeling like I wasn't part of a crowd. So security came in being with people and having people around me. And then, as an adult, as we get older, it becomes more of a financial thing or an employment, um, the future of your family, or whether you've got a roof over your head. So, security and safety and the idea of protection changes massively as you go throughout your life. But the concept stays the same is that actually, where are we looking for our safety? Where are we looking for our security? And again, I think if we look back in the last four years, COVID really shook that all up because suddenly things that we felt like kept us safe actually changed massively because the threat and the problem was on our doorstep and there didn't seem to be much that we could do to stop it. And everything seemed suddenly so unsure. So I think for some of us, maybe our idea of what safe looked like completely changed when the COVID pandemic started. But safety looks different across the world in different cultures. For some places, it looks like boundaries and physical walls around. So if you're in a country where there's a threat of danger of um, other countries coming in, like the idea of walls and security and barbed wire, that's safety. And in other cultures, it's the access to food and shelter, simply being able to put food on your family's table. Or if you're in a different culture, education. Having a good education ensures that you'll have employment, therefore you'll be able to live a life where you'll be able to provide for your family. So it looks massively different, but the concept's the same. Like, where are we looking for our security? And we do live in a world that, unfortunately, nothing is certain or guaranteed. You only have to look at the news at the moment to see that it's just so chaotic and everything's changing all the time. And everything seems to be different each day to day. So when we look for our safety in worldly things, we're often going to be disappointed because things change and things let us down and there's nothing guaranteed or certain. But this morning I want to offer you a hope that actually something that doesn't shift, change or let you down and that is the eternal safety that you can find in Jesus. So we'll begin exploring and understanding 91 by looking at the author and who the psalm was actually written for. Whether it was King David, um, who is the author of most of the Psalms in this book, or whether it was an anonymous reader, the concept is the same. It's clearly someone who is not a stranger to danger and difficulty. You can see in the words of this Psalm, that it is obviously someone who's either been through something difficult, or and is about to face something very difficult as well. And this Psalm is written by someone for someone who is about to face some very difficult times. And actually, it's about someone who's anxious about what is about to come. And these words are there to encourage them of the goodness and faithfulness of God. I'm sure you've all needed that at some point in your life, some encouraging words. For me, I used to do drama. Um, and I remember the nerves before I went on stage and I remember the encouraging words that our teachers used to say about, you know, break a leg, which, again, doesn't really make much sense to me, but you break a leg, you know, the words that you are use to encourage you before you get on stage or when I used to do horse riding and I used to do show jumping rounds, which I hated, um, but I did it anyway. And I remember my mum used to encourage me before I went on just to say, you can do this, like, you've done it before, you've been through it, you can get through it again. And so sometimes, actually, these opening words to this particular psalm are actually a bit different. It's ensuring the hearer that the promises of safety are found in God and not in fleeting or based on our own efforts of trying to find safety. And we see two metaphors in these particular verses. So the first verse or the first image is a fortress and a refuge. So, back in biblical times, from what we know about fortresses and refuse, they were solid, vast structures. They were filled with shields um, and they had defensive walls that would be feet deep um, and they were impenetrable and unaffected by things like arrows and spears. So, they were unmovable. So they were these massive, big kind of walls that went around the entire city that were often too deep as well. So they have a wall and then a space and another wall. So they were impenetrable. So a fortress and a refuge was a solid, unmovable structure. And then the second image that we see is the wings that provide shelter and a hidden spot for the vulnerable, so the wings of a bird. So very two contrasting images, both painting a picture of God's protection and safety. One offers a strong, firm foundation that is unaffected by the surrounding threats. And then the delicate wings that would offer shelter against the winds, the sun, and the rain at the cost and the discomfort of the owner. And we see these metaphors bring together the versatile protection that God brings us. We see an unmovable and non-destructive fortress symbolizing how nothing can separate us between the love and protection of God. And then also we look at the image of a mother bird protecting her young, protecting the, people, the birds underneath her wings from things like heat and rain. And though the wings are fragile, it's an image of how the mother bird takes on these attacks for herself and protects her children. So God is our shelter, the shadow that we rest in, and the refuge that we can count on, and the fortress that we can trust And people have always found that God's faithful wherever they have relied on him throughout the generations. Those who have trusted in the Lord have firm foundations in his guidance and his sovereign power. And those who have wandered off have often been lost like someone without a compass in the middle of nowhere. And these promises of safety mentioned in these particular verses promise protection from a comprehensive list of different things, day and night, natural or spiritual. And we just see how, actually, the promise that's been put here means that the protection that God offers is something that will not move, and it comes from a trusting believer. But these metaphors show a very different side of protection. And so how can they both marry up together? How do we see the unplundering strength of a fortress and then the sacrificial, loving protection of the wings of a bird? And we see that in the cross of Jesus the righteousness all-encompassing power and the tender sacrificial love of God combined, the Son of God, the King of kings, dying and making the ultimate sacrifice for you and me. So what does this promise mean of safety for us as a trusting believer? So we can now move on to verses 5 to 12, if you read with me. For he will command your, ear, your angels concerning you to guard you in all your ways. On their hands they will bear you up, lest you strike your foot against the stone. So the dangers listed in these particular verses will be very hard for us as a human to ward off. Whether you're rich or poor, or weak or strong, there's not really much I can do to safeguard myself against these particular dangers. The schemes of others, from disease, from pestilence, or from a demonic attack. And on first reading this, it kind of seems that God is saying that nothing bad will ever happen to you. To people who put their trust in God, nothing physical, physically bad will come upon you. That actually the none of the evilness of this broken world will ever touch you. But it's really, really important that we look at these verses and read them carefully, how they were intended to be heard. And actually the importance of this is seen in the New Testament, in chapter 4 of Matthew, where Jesus goes out into the wilderness for 40 days and meets with the devil. See, the devil understood the meaning of these words and the unique application it meant for Jesus in particular. He also understood how to warp these words and twist them to try and twist us and to try and trip up Jesus. And if we look at the story in Matthew 4, and from the point of view of Psalm 91, the words used in Psalm 91, the devil tries to use to trip up Jesus when he's in the wilderness. So, when Jesus is wandering around in the desert, he's been wandering around for nearly 40 days. He is then tired and hungry. The devil comes to him with the words from this very psalm to hand and these words on his lips. And he says, If you are the Son of God, throw yourself down, for it's written, He will command His angels concerning you, and on their hands they will bear you up, lest you don't strike your foot against that stone. So, the devil wants us to think that when we are suffering, It is because God has failed his promises. And that the words seen in here in Psalm 91 are false and empty. But God has promised something far greater than this image that the devil is trying to use as a decoy. God promises to protect us in trouble, not from it. And whatever was given by God to Jesus is shared with us in full. And therefore, the way that we see that Jesus could be sure of God's personal care in this situation, so can I, and so too can you. Our enemy has been defeated and stripped of his weapons against us. There's no condemnation for those who are in Christ. Therefore, what do we have to fear? We shouldn't be using these words in the psalm as almost like a good luck charm, or as like a talisman, or something we just say over ourselves, because we think that if we say it enough, it means that nothing bad will ever happen to us. But actually, it's meant to be a reassurance to us that there is something far greater beyond this point. There's something far greater coming in this world, and that isn't just us focusing on the bad things, that we have to focus on what is beyond that. Derek Kidner cautions us on the application of this marvellous principle. He says, This is, of course, a statement of exact minute providence, not a ch- charm against adversity. So we have a tendency to trust and believe only once something has shown itself to be true or has shown itself to be trustworthy. To put our face in something that we cannot hold or something we can't see with our own two eyes seems a bit unwise in today's culture. The idea of trusting in something that hasn't proven itself just seems a bit folly. And actually, to stand out against a crowd um, and to not follow a common theme and only trust in something once it's proved itself, actually, is how we have a tendency to live. So, yeah, I'm going to tell you a story. It's very embarrassing, but I'm going to tell you one. So, um, I don't know, put your hands up if you've ever done Go Ape. Have you done Go Ape? Yeah, a few of you, yeah. So, Go Ape is um, a kind of treetop obstacle course. And basically, you climb up and you have a harness on, and then you walk along the um, kind of different obstacle courses. And actually, it's surprisingly high. I remember when you look up, you think, oh, it's not too bad. And then when you're up there, you're like, oh, OK, no, this is really high. Um, and so I'm OK with heights generally. But you are in charge, pretty much, of your own safety when you're up there. So you get given a very, very brief safety talk um, beforehand by a gentleman who's obviously done the safety talk a 1,000 times and is very bored. And so when he shows you how to put the harness on, it's a case of whacking on and kind of be like, just make sure it clip's on, and you'll be fine. Off you go. And you literally then have to... <clears throat> go off and do this obstacle course pretty much on your own. And you have some instructors walking around at the bottom. And in my head, I'm like, it seems a bit pointless you being at the bottom because by that point, if I've hit the ground, there's not really much you can do, but okay, that's fine. And they kind of walk around and they give you a little red whistle to blow three times if you ever get stuck. You can probably see where the story is going. And I remember there's a particular obstacle in GoApe where you jump off a very, very high platform and then you swing into a big... um, Camo nets, I suppose is what you 'd call it, and they give you a very very, very, very one very important instruction, and they say when you drop and you swing, you don 't grab the net on the first swing because you 'll hurt yourself because when you go, you hit it really hard, and then when you rip past, you have to let yourself swing and then hit back again at this point, I was terrified because i 'd seen people do it before me, and they'd also I think Owen was ahead of me, and he screamed, and I remember thinking, <laughs> if Owen screamed, then this can 't be good so I was all panicked and I had this harness on and I didn't trust that actually it was going to carry my weight um, because you feel very vulnerable when you're up there. But anyway, I jumped and swang and I panicked um, and I grabbed the net on the first swing and as I came off I ripped my wrist and my wrist, I heard it crack, it was really bad, I heard it really make a horrible sound. Um, And then I got back and eventually stopped swinging and I was on this camo net and I horribly realized that I couldn't pull myself up this camo net. So I tried to pull myself up several times, and I couldn't do it, it was too painful, I didn't have enough strength in my arms to pull myself up. I tried for a good five minutes, meanwhile parties behind us were piling up, waiting for me to try and get myself up this net, and eventually I had to pull out the whistle of shame, and I had to blow it three times. And this person came along um, and basically said, can you try and pull yourself up, and I said "No." and then eventually what they had to do. So, has has anyone seen Jurassic Park? The film Jurassic Park, yeah? So, you know the scene where the cow gets lowered into the velociraptor pen? Yeah, so basically it was an image that I will never ever, and I'm sure Owen was there, and it was never ever going to have to get over. I basically felt like the cow in Jurassic Park that got hitched up by two people, on the, um, two people on the ground to get myself up onto this platform. By this point, half of East Sussex were waiting in the treetops for me to happen. It was really embarrassing. But I do remember thinking, at no point did I feel unsafe, because the harness had caught me. So before, I was terrified that the harness wasn't going to do anything. But then by the point that I was hanging there for a good you know, 15 minutes, I realised actually this, the harness had not failed me. But I only trusted in the harness once it caught me until it had proven itself to actually do something. That harness meant nothing to me. And then when I fell and it caught me and I you know, hung there for 15 minutes of shame, I realised the harness had actually done its job without me even realising. And I think actually it's very easy for us to not trust in something until it's proven itself. And I think sometimes we trust Jesus like that until we've seen a miraculous sign in our lives. We don't trust Jesus to do great things in our lives. But we should look back in the entire Bible and see how actually God has protected his people through generations and that the ultimate protection was going to come in the fulfillment of Jesus. And these verses point us towards not just the safety of the worldly things or good luck charms, but actually we should be focusing on him and not what everyone else is doing. And we see in this passage that Jesus really understood these words, that his father's protection wasn't something to be used as a token of proof of God's power, but an almighty and internal promise that shouldn't be put to the test by human arrogance. The devil can threaten, he can bluster, he can do whatever he wants to try and separate us, but actually he can't remove us from what is secure for us in heaven as a believer. And when we identify with the suffering of this world and understand it doesn't mean that we've been abandoned, but actually like Jesus did, we can use this suffering that we experience to help us grow and strengthen ourselves in God's promises. And clearly the personal providential oversight of these verses we read here does not guarantee an exemption of worldly and earthly trials. What this passage promises us is that God does not just look after us and watch over us as a church, but he looks after you as an individual. What it means is that my future and my inheritance and your future and your inheritance is secure in heaven. And the the devil wants us to believe that God's protection has failed when we go through difficult times or because we face something really awful in our past, it feels like God hasn't done what he's meant to have done. But these verses clarify that God will save us in trouble, not from us. The only thing those who can trust in him can lose in suffering is already expendable. Our lives here on earth are expendable. They will fade. We will die. That is, Our bodies will fail us. Things around us will fail us. The only thing that will not change, the real you and the trust that you put in God, the one that God is creating and the real life that he's creating in you, is untouchable through Christ. So to sum up the central theme of Psalm 91, it's presented as this. Those who trust and rest in God will genuinely be safe. So those who trust and rest in God will genuinely be safe. And we read these final verses. You will tread on the lion and the adder. The young lion and the serpent you will trample underfoot. Because he holds fast to me in love, I will deliver him. I will protect him because he knows my name. When he calls to me, I will answer him. I will be with you. Be with him in trouble. I will rescue him and honor him. With long life, I will satisfy him and show him my salvation. So the promises are spoken over the author of this psalm to encourage and show that putting our trust in God means that we are hoping to be rescued, from, um, that it's more than hoping to be rescued from an incoming danger, but recognising an eternal, everlasting protection. But as humans, we often look elsewhere. We don't want to trust in something that we can't see. We'll put money and time and effort into the security that we see around us. But actually, the only one who has ever fully trusted God is Jesus. But we see now how all these promises in this particular psalm are fulfilled and solidified in Jesus. He gives us honor and glory in a promise just beyond the horizon that we're just trying so hard for ourselves to get, but actually Jesus has promised it. And it was through Jesus' de- death, resurrection and ascension that ultimately we came to experience these promises in their fullness. Jesus experienced suffering in order to achieve our salvation and is now eternally secure and ultimately victorious over the enemy. And we see this particular victory interwoven in this psalm, in psalm, um, sorry, verse 13, where it promises that God will trample the serpent underfoot, which reflects a promise that was made at the very, very, very beginning of the Bible in Genesis chapter 3, when speaking to the devil who took form as a serpent that spoke to Adam and Eve, God speaks of how he himself would crush the head of the serpent while the serpent would bite his heel. So have that image of a serpent being trodden on, being trampled underfoot, but he would bite the heel of the person that stood on him. And we see that in the death of Jesus, that there would be a victory over the enemy through the death of Jesus. Through his sacrificial death, he was triumphant over the enemy. So we see how God has been protecting his people from the very, very, very beginning. How he has interceded, he has stepped in, He has lifted up, and he has surrounded his people with protection. And this is now an eternal protection that means our lives beyond this world are protected and sealed in heaven through the blood of Jesus. So is Psalm 91 and its promises for you and me are its promises for us today? And the glorious answer to that is yes. We are indeed ours in Christ Through faith of God's King, we can come into God's eternal security. The promise of safety is yours in Christ. Does that mean total security and prosperity in this life? Of course not. It didn't mean that for Jesus, and it doesn't mean that for us now. The fact that these promises are for us does not guarantee that we'll have a freedom from pain and suffering and sickness in this life. It doesn't mean that we're not going to experience violence and plagues and difficulties. But because we are in Christ, and when God sees us, he sees Jesus as does the devil, it means that our refuge is always going to be found in him. It means that we are hidden in Christ. And to get to us, the devil, and all that he brings, has to get through Jesus first. So all the suffering and dangers are limited to this life. It's temporary and it's not all-consuming. We have been promised an eternal protection, which means that nothing can separate us from God. None of us will be rescued from earthly death, but those who believe in Jesus will be protected from an eternal death. So in the New Testament, we see Paul writes from prison. He writes a lot from prison. But he's in the midst of an awful prison um, but he doesn't read, particularly Psalm 9 to 1, as a promise that he will keep him from being imprisoned or that he will be, keep him from the horribleness of the guards and the pain and the sickness and the poverty that he was surrounded by. But actually, it does more than that. It makes him eternally invincible in Christ, where we are fully and finally rescued in him. And the final victory we see again in the New Testament scripture where it says in 2 Corinthians, no matter how many promises God has made, they are a yes in Christ. According to the New Testament, everything God has promised to his people has been fully realized in the person of Christ Jesus. Everything God has promised is yes and amen in Jesus. These promises, blessings, are now available to any person. It says in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 13, but now in Christ Jesus... You who for once were far far off have now been brought near by the blood of Christ. I can just welcome up the bands. So what does this mean as a final analysis of these particular words? It means that we are safe, genuinely safe. For like Lord Jesus, we will too experience a resurrection, a final rescue from all danger, and that we will be with him, and we will be safe, internally safe. Which means that when danger comes, or when pestilence strikes, we can face these threats realistically, knowing that the ultimate safety is still ours. We can face risks sensibly, both with courage and composure, being prayerful and practical. This psalm, by promising eternal security, helps us to live wisely now in the midst of the dangerous world. Because no matter what happens to us now, as we battle through this world, and whatever it might throw at us, we are safe, and we are safe in the shadow of our almighty God. And amid all the confusion and the chaos of this world, we can rest in the wealth and steadfast of eternal safety and contentment that we have in Christ. So if you are seeking safety or protection or you're going through a difficult time, you're feeling a bit lost and you're not really sure where your protection is coming from, We would love to pray with you after the worship. Please just come and stand here. But I know for myself personally that throughout my life, I have been looking for protection and security in lots of different ways. Um, Through the trials of my life, I went to lots of different people and I tried lots of different things. And though some of them definitely did help, I just remember when I read this particular psalm years ago that I remember that actually everything in this earth is temporary. Everything that happens in this world is temporary. All the pain and the suffering and the sickness and the letdowns and the disappointments and the frustrations that you deal with is temporary. Nothing will hold on forever. And when you put your trust in Jesus... You'll fully understand what it is to be protected eternally and knowing that everything that's happening in this world will fade. But the security and the steadfast love that you'll find in Jesus won't fade, and that doesn't change. So I really encourage you, whether you're a Christian or not, to just really understand the joy that it is to know Jesus um, and that actually putting your faith and your security and your trust in him fully means that you've got an eternal um, life ahead of you and that you'll be rescued from an eternal death. So I just implore you now, if I know coming up and having prayer, you know, walking forward is actually really, you know, stressful for some people, I encourage you to ignore what the devil is trying to do there, because the devil wants us to be separated from Jesus. He wants us to think that Jesus is failing, or he doesn't care, but I can tell you that's an outright lie, and that's not true. So if you feel anything in your heart that's telling you that you don't want to come forward, ignore that because that's a lie i encourage you to you know take a step of faith and come and have prayer um during the worship because actually it's really important to remember that the devil will spend its entire being trying to separate you from the love of god but that can't happen when you put your trust in jesus that doesn't you can't be separated so i encourage you if you want to come to your feet and we'll spend some time i'm just going to pray for us before we go into our time of worship Yeah, Heavenly Father, we just give thanks for the fact that we are genuinely safe in you, that our eternal life is secure and is stamped with an approval by you, Lord, in heaven, and that actually when we turn away from the devil and we focus on you and put our trust in you, that heaven celebrates, that heaven um, is uproared with a joy in the fact that we are fighting against the devil. And even though Jesus has been victorious, we know that there is going to be struggles in this life, but we just pray, Lord, that we won't be all consumed with the thought of that, but that we remember during those difficult times what we have on the horizon because of what Jesus did on the cross, that we know the serpent has been trampled on the foot, that we know that when Jesus died on that cross, that he was victorious over death, and that means that we could not live in fear of an eternal death, that we have the joy in knowing that what we have around the corner is far greater and far better than what we have to face here on this earth. So I just pray now, Lord, that we'll ignore what the devil and what the enemy is trying to say inside our hearts, but that we'll be bold and come and you know, respond to you, Lord. Open our hearts up now to you, Lord. We keep our eyes fixed on you. In Jesus' name, amen. <coughs>